Give me a board. Energize. Energize. Bridge, it's shorted out again. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Random Redshirt Podcast. I am Zach, one of the hosts, and the other host is Chris. What's up, buddy? Hello, Zach, my great friend. Hello, everyone around the world and the interweb and hopefully Antarctica. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's wonderful to be here, Zach. We have survived another week of our professional lives. Uh, we have made it through. And all, as always, I look forward to to enjoying this time together, my friend. Yeah, and we are we are the red shirts that survive every episode, at least so far. We we have we haven't we haven't died in any of these episodes yet. So as long as we continue this trend, we'll be we'll be okay. We'll make it through, right? Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. yes, well, welcome to the podcast. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in and joining us for the first time, welcome. We are two nerdy guys who like to talk about all things nerdy and geeky, from Star Trek to Star Wars and everything in between. Please be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us there for all the latest updates and episode announcements. Uh, and be sure to go on to YouTube as well. Uh, if you're just listening to us on the audio side, you can he- find, uh, I think we've got close to 60 videos, 60 of our episodes recorded on video. The rest of them are audio only, which is what we did initially when we first started recording this podcast. And uh, Chris, we are going to be approaching in May three years. Can you believe it? And we just passed 100 episodes, like some you know little milestones here. Yeah, we are on episode 101 as of yeah. the moment yeah and it has been three years and it has gone by uh it seems like uh three years was just yesterday um, yeah because we've been enjoying uh, i mean we've been enjoying doing this together and it's so wonderful and um that is just it's so interesting to think about three years right and and how fast it's gone and we're talking about time in this particular episode and we're doing yeah. a deep deep dive on time but um it's just our perception of time and how it affects us. And this is just, um, you know, we've enjoyed this journey together and it's been so quick. So it really has like, where, where has the time gone? As they say, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to find it personally, but, uh, yeah, it, it's been, <laughs> it's, it really has, it's gone by fast and, uh, we've enjoyed every minute of this. It's been great. So again, we want to thank you all those out there supporting and listening to us all over the globe. Maybe in Antarctica, as Chris is so hoping for. Maybe one day we'll get somebody who comments. I th- I think Chris, if somebody were to say, "Oh, I'm actually like a scientist in Antarctica right now," and I I came across your podcast, I think you would probably like lose your mind. I would lose my mind. Yes, I would. I'd be I like, think you would. This is like <laughs> yeah. this is like a um, this is like a quest for you, right? You're yes. you're on a quest to get listeners from Antarctica. I so. am on a quest. Yes. That's right. You can be like in in Yuga Montoya from from uh, Princess Bride. <laughs> yes, but it's it's right. been good. We have enjoyed this. We 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 love we love sharing these things. It's interesting if you go back and listen to our very first episode where we talk about our top ten favorite sci fi franchises of all time. Until now, the show has has changed in in, in many good ways, and we've got some incredible uh, guests coming up for you. Um, and we just we cannot wait. Uh, if you've seen some of our announcements on Instagram and Facebook, we've got a, a podcast collaboration coming up with the Where's Bev podcast. Mm-hmm. We really look forward to that. We're going to do a Captain mashup, a Star Trek <laughs> Captain mashup, where we're going to take different scenarios from different episodes within 
legacy treks so original series through enterprise and we're gonna throw different captains in those different scenarios and talk about how they would have responded you know would 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 janeway have lied and cheated and stolen her way through to get the romulans in the dominion war uh you know that as, as just one example um that there's so many out there we could use but um it's gonna be a lot of fun uh, we're also looking forward to having Todd Marks with us, the yes. playback supervisor from Star Trek Picard. He's worked on Jurassic Park. He's worked on so much. His his list of projects he's worked on is incredible. Met him in Vegas, had dinner with him. He's a wonderful guy. And the 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 technical, the technical stuff that we're gonna learn from him is just gonna be incredible. Uh, and then we're gonna have a a a director on with us named Dan Liu. Mm -hmm. who has directed Strange New Worlds. He's directed Star Trek Picard, The Walking Dead. He's a fantastic director, and we cannot wait to ha to uh, talk with him and then share that coming later. next. All three of those episodes will be later next month in February of 2024. So we really look forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful to have them on. We're going to learn a lot, and it's just going to be lovely to hear them share about their experiences and what they've contributed to. So it's going to be terrific, like you say. It is, it is. Now... If you have been following us long enough, you know we started this Spotlight series where we were diving into the Mirror Universe. And please don't fret. We will get back to the Mirror Universe coming soon to a theater near you. Right now, we had a couple episodes, Chris, that we really wanted to dive into. Two episodes in particular. Well, the Voyager Year of Hell was technically a two-parter, but it was just a solo episode for our podcast. But the Year of Hell Part 1 and 2, and then now the City on the Edge of Forever, which is what we're here to talk about today from Star Trek, the original series. And these were these were two separate episodes that we really wanted to talk about as we jumped back to the what we call the Prime Universe uh, and dive deep, because they're just really fantastic episodes. Indeed, they are fantastic. They really make you think. They both happen to be related to uh, the concepts of time so like strangely enough right with the year, year of hell there was the the uh, the whole thing about manipulating time um and time being an entity but then city on the edge of forever uh is very much dealing with time and decisions and impacts of individual in impacts of individuals um in time so it's it, in a way, it was kind of natural that like after we were doing the year of uh, hell spotlight, our minds kind of uh, mutually gravitated towards uh, Toss and, you know, this, this particular episode, the, the City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, so I think it was quite lo lovely that, it, that this kind of evolved like that. And this is going to be, this is going to be fantastic to talk through. Yeah, it really is. And so we look, we really look forward to it. Um, and th this episode uh, I, we, we talked about this before, Chris, uh, I think it was last night, uh, this episode I have seen regularly appear on lists of Star Trek episodes as the greatest of greatest episodes of all time from Star Trek. This usually is at the very top, if not number one, it's one of the top two, but I have consistently seen it voted the greatest episode of Star Trek of all time. Now everybody's going to have their opinions, right? Mm -hmm. And, and some people are going to have their favorites that are maybe more than this episode, but this certainly has been one of the crown jewel episodes within the Star Trek franchise, and in particular, the original series. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I don't know about you, but like when uh, when I was growing up and this was on syndication and this was on reruns, for some reason, this episode, City on the Edge of Forever, always um, would come into my mind 
when I remember uh, Star Trek, the original series, you know, I would just have these, these fond memories of, of Kirk and Spock and McCoy being in the 1930s um, and particularly of, of, of Kirk and Edith Keeler that for some reason, this episode is just very vibrant, like, like in my mind growing up and I, I, I really remember it. So, um, you know, just maybe maybe that kind of subconsciously means it's a favorite of mine, like from the original series. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, th this is, I would, this is definitely a favorite of mine from, from Toss for sure. Um, if I, if I think to the, what I would consider the top five greatest episodes from the original series, this is certainly up there. I mean, my, mm -hmm. my favorite personally from the original series is let that be your last battlefield, which is a, a really, really hard look at racism and it was really important and really impactful back in the late 60s with all the civil rights movements going on and things like that. And this this concept of the these this alien chasing down another member of its species simply because the black on one side of his face was flipped and different from the black on the other person's face. And one side was white, one side was black, and the other one was flipped. And they they believed that the ones that were flipped from them were inferior and therefore you know, uh, uh, lesser, uh, you know, beings, they didn't have the same rights and all that kind of stuff. And, and this guy's chasing played by Frank Gorshin, right? The original Riddler from Batman, um, chasing this other one around all over the galaxy for thousands of years. So obviously they live a long time and then they're brought home and their, their world is gone. Like it's everything's, you know, and that 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 look on their face of well was this really worth it right all this these years so that that episode to me i think we talked about this last night chris that episode to me is one of the one of the episodes i i think of right away when someone talks about the original series yeah yeah absolutely it is a standout episode yeah for sure it's it's really really impactful and I, in fact i remember a teacher from high school big star trek fan and she said <laughs> she said that that was her favorite episode as well was let wow. that be your last battle, battlefield. I, I'm pretty sure it was, if not her favorite, is one of her favorite for sure. Um, just super, super impactful, really well written, really good episode. But we are here yes. today to talk about the city on the edge of forever with the absolutely brilliant Joan Collins, who plays Edith <laughs> Keeler. And um, it's interesting, Chris, as we were looking through this, this isn't the only episode, it's the first one. But it's not the only episode that features the Guardian of Forever that appears in this. You're right. It's it is not. And <clears throat> I actually learned, and you taught you you just taught me this. This is this is great. I learned I learned about this. But the Guardian of Forever shows up in the animated series, uh, the 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 original animated series, as well as um, Discovery, I believe too in a different form but it's still the guardian of forever yeah. like and uh lower decks right also yeah. also appears on lower decks so i'm really glad that the guardian of forever kind of uh spawned its own kind of uh mythos or legacy and kind of continues on in the different the different trek series and maybe this is like a sub spotlight <laughs> where we can take a look at, you know, how the guardian, the guardian of forever is like um, impacts in the different um, Star Trek series. That'd be kind of interesting to kind of to yeah. see, uh, you know, what they've done. Yeah, it really would be. Um, it's, it's a, this episode I think was really important to Star Trek, especially early on. And, and then we see 
the the effects and the ripples of this episode throughout other Star Trek series in the franchise, right? With the animated series that came on in the 70s after this show had been canceled in the late 60s, right? And then all the way into New Trek with Discovery and Lower Decks. So this episode is still having an impact all these years later. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and I think the the idea felt. I, I mean, go. I go back to this idea um, of the time travel, and they're they're using terminology like time displacement waves, and I, I'm not that that familiar with all of the science fiction that was available like in in that particular year but that just this, this seems like very very um forward and visionary kind of thinking so it's just kind of really pleasing to kind of see um these ideas uh being being on the on the screen yeah yeah i mean you think about back during the 60s right and compared to today right some of the scientific knowledge they would have had would have been not not as well known right and so yeah, of course yeah star trek has always been kind of ahead of its time when it comes to theorizing um you know possibilities scientifically and and these these ideas and concepts and a lot of these ideas and concepts that star trek came up with were used as inspiration for future scientists and astronauts and stuff that have actually implemented certain things mm -hmm. Right. I mean, just for example, think about the communicator, the little flip communicator that they mm -hmm. use in the original series that spurred flip phone cell phones, you know, many, many decades later. Yeah. So there, there's so many things. And, and this series has inspired so many people to go into different, you know, STEM fields. Right. Whether it's, you know, science, math, engineering, uh, medicine. You name it. I mean, there's been a lot of people inspired because of Star Trek and the things that it has done. So this idea, like you said, Chris, where it's it's throwing out these concepts that maybe ahead of its time, I think is is really impactful and speaks to the impact Star Trek's had. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's jump into this. All right. Yeah. Let's let's jump into Star Trek, the original series, <laughs> The City on the Edge of Forever. And it starts out as many episodes of Star Trek do of the original series where the Enterprise is in orbit, red alerts going on, and they're going through what appears to be some sort of violent uh, thing. And we learn very quickly that these are some type of time distortion surrounding this planet that the Enterprise is orbiting. Yeah, it's an unexplored planet. They're apparently going through time turbulence. <laughs> <laughs> like on a plane. Everybody get your vomit bags out. All right. Right. And um they're they're going through that. And uh the captain is, you know, instructing uh Mr. Sulu to say, you know, study as she goes. Um, and they're kind of right riding those waves. You you know what it was was kind of funny, um, just as an aside, as they're going through this turbulence. So you have uh Many of them, many of them are sitting right in chairs, and you've got a few of them that are like, you know, standing up. I just and I felt bad for the. Uh, I'm not sure if she was a yeoman or, uh, you know, a lower level like a officer, but you know, all of the, all of the like, I guess the senior crew, they're all sitting down, and you've got the yeoman and Scotty like just standing up, and I'm like, going, you know, they should be like sitting down, going through this this turbulence like that. Well, yeah, fasten your seatbelts, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about to get bumpy, as they say on the airplanes, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I found it interesting, Chris, when I was watching this. I, I found it kind of funny, right? So there, there, there's some of this 
cheesiness, right? A little mm-hmm. hokiness from this the, the original series. But the, this moment where you see the people sitting down and they're like swaying back and forth, right? They're being told, hey, go right, go left as the ship shakes. And the people standing up are just like, uh, yeah. They're not moving as much. Don't you think if the ship is shaking like that really violently, that the people standing up are flying back and forth across the bridge? There's totally. no restraints there, right? So Yeah. Yeah, totally. I just found that kind of funny that's like the people sitting down are not shaking are shaking much more and moving more violently. People standing up are just kind of like, eh, yeah, we're swaying. We're like on a boat in the ocean. And you would have thought they'd have been flying across the bridge, but. I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I get it. I know it's just a TV show, right? It's just yeah, a TV show. It's just a TV show. I just, I just found it funny. Although some people might say that and go, oh my gosh, that's sacrilege. How dare you call Star Trek just a TV show? But <laughs> it is just a TV show, folks. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So they, they do hit they hit some uh sort of bad turbulence and there's a small like explosion like yeah. like on the bridge that affects sulu right knocks him yeah, out right at his console yeah right at his console. yes yeah so he's like targeted explosions <laughs> yeah so he's he's knocked out and um mccoy soon comes on the bridge luckily enough so um they get him on yeah and yeah. uh thank goodness for this miracle drug known as cordrazine yeah, because a couple drops helps out Sulu and he's able to to get him up. But but one thing that we note that becomes a major player in merely a matter of moments is that uh, when McCoy arrives and and says that you know Sulu's got some kind of heart thing going on, uh, he prepares it and he warn he's warned by Kirk. That it's, I guess, tricky stuff. I don't know why Kirk's warning him. I guess Kirk's a doctor too, or something. <laughs> but uh, the two drops that M- M- McCoy gives him is is successful. A little, I was like red liquid or something like that. And then, unfortunately, there's another violent shake, and McCoy's not sitting down. He doesn't have a seatbelt fastened. He's not following the lights in the overhead storage compartments and <laughs> everything like that, right? So, because his seatbelt's not securely fastened, what happens? He goes flying in on the bridge and falls over and stabs himself with the hypo spray and administers into his like chest area or whatever all the rest of the cordrazine into mm-hmm. his body. And then he comes up for, with some type of overdose effect or reaction, and now he's psychotic. Yeah. It's like, wow, the difference between two drops and the whole thing is mm-hmm. from saving your life to becoming psychotic. That's a that's a big jump. Like that's some kind of medicine that have to be under lock and key, right? Yeah, yeah. So some safety suggestions we could have for the for the enterprise and the crew now are like seatbelts, right? For for <laughs> for there. And then on that, because the cordrazine is tricky stuff, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe you have to hit like two buttons at the same time to be able to inject it. And that might uh, you know, uh that might help from any accidental injections for from a core. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. like a safety valve in there or something, right? So yeah. you can't inject it all. It'll only allow a little bit at amount at a time. Because otherwise, like if it's if it only needs a couple of drops, why would you ever need to administer any more than a couple of drops at a time, right? Yeah, you would yeah. would you never need to administer the whole thing, right? So why would you a safety thing would be good? A safety, a safety yeah, button. Exactly. Yeah. I, I did really like that interplay when Captain Kirk like he's like, Well, doctor, yeah, tricky stuff. And <laughs> and and McCoy's like always he's very good at being annoyed. You know, so he came, <laughs> I like I like that he's he's annoyed at Kirk with that. Yeah, there was a, there was a uh, really funny meme I saw one time, Chris, and it's this 
I don't remember. I don't know who it was. This picture of this girl, or whatever, and she's got this annoyed look on her face. Yeah. And the meme says like something to the effect of, "Have you ever been so annoyed by someone that you are like pre annoyed, like you're you're already ready to get annoyed because you and you're you're like pre annoyed, <laughs> and it just." McCoy always has that look on his face of pre-annoyed, right? Like he he's yeah. already pre-annoyed with what he knows is coming that's going to annoy him. And this is kind of something similar, you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, whether it's Spock or Kirk, they can really annoy McCoy. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. He is he is con under constant bombardment of annoyance, I would say. But yeah, uh, yeah it's very interesting. So he he's he's tagged with all this Corjazine and then he starts screaming and ranting and raving about mm -hmm. killers and assassins. So clearly this Corjazine has some type of hallucinogenic effect when it's administered in such a large dose. And then he is able to escape the bridge somehow. I guess it also gives him superhuman strength because now all of a sudden he can push everybody off. I mean, <laughs> shouldn't Spock have just run over there and Vulcan nerve pinched him and knocked him out, and yeah. then they get him down a sick bay and heal him? And of course, we'd have no we'd have no rest of the episode. But yeah, um, yeah, he he gets off the bridge and goes into the turbo lift, and then we cut to of course the infamous intro of Star Trek. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, I love how uh, McCoy like after he's escaped the bridge and he, he's on the run, we see him go into the transporter room, like you like short, shortly after. And I love that, that scene. Cause he comes behind the, the transporter officer. And then he does like these quick chops right to the, the to dispatch the, uh, yeah. the transporter off. I'm like, wow. Okay. Bam, yeah. bam. And then transporter chief off. Kyle took one on the neck. I know that's terrible. Well, I mean, you know, McCoy's got some skills, I guess apparently apparently he all of a sudden learned the the vulcan like the the, the kirk chop the yeah you know, kirk's like chopping dudes you know and he uses the two hand smack and there's a chop <laughs> we could do a whole episode just on like the three basic moves that kirk uses on every alien or bad guy to fight so it's like the kirk, same three moves over and over again he does kirk has a very specific stylized fight fighting style I, I don't know if style is the word I would use, but he certainly <laughs> has something. <laughs> yeah, love that. Love that. But yeah, he gets, you know, Kirk, not Kirk, <laughs> McCoy, you know, he eventually, uh, he transports down to the surface, right? And then yep, they got to follow him. They got to, yeah. they got to try and uh, save him. So the, uh, you know, Kirk and Spock and Uhura, and I guess Galloway is her name. Is she an ensign or is she an other officer? I don't know if we know. Pretty sure uh, she's a red shirt, isn't she? Red shirt, yeah. 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 And then and then we've got a couple other red shirts that uh follow on down to 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 beam down. Yeah. So Galloway's a man. Mm. Galloway, a male human, uh, and then other security officers. So red. So it's very befitting, right? That we that we have red shirts beamed down in this particular episode. I mean yeah. After all, we are the random red shirts here, right? So we have these random red shirts that beam down to the surface. And uh, it's interesting, too. You know, before before the landing party beams down, Spock does what he does best, as you know, Chris, and he does some research and <laughs> finds out that this these, this Cordrazine overdose makes people hysterical. They think they're in mortal danger. Uh, they become very, very dangerous to not only themselves, but other people around them. Mm. And the Kirk is, is informed that McCoy has transported himself down to the planet. 
And unfortunately, by doing this, this this has got to go through Kirk's mind. Like, okay, we've got these time distortions going on. He's just beamed down. Could that have affected the transport? Don't know, but they they know they got to go after him and help him. I mean, he's their friend and he's the chief medical officer. And then, as you said, they get this landing party together with Kirk, Spock, uh, Scotty. Which interesting, Scotty and Uhura come, go go down as well. Um, you would have thought that you know Scotty at least Scotty would have stayed in the ship because there's been other episodes too, right? Where yeah. Kirk and Spock and McCoy will beam down, and then Mister Scott is left in charge of the bridge in charge of the ship while they're down on the planet surface. Yeah, you're right. That was an odd choice on why um, Scotty would go down, I guess. Uh, you know, that was, I mean, it's great that he was there, but that is an odd choice. I, I think um, having him back at the ship would have made like some sense, especially if the ship was, uh, you know, going through some potential turbulence. You might want your chief engineer up there to to help deal with any ship problems. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Well, it's TV show, right? But it, <laughs> you know, when we, we look at this, right, you you kind of you you pick it apart a little bit. And you're like, yeah, why didn't why didn't he stay on the surf, you know, up on the ship? Because there's other episodes where they go down to a surface and it's not there's no danger of any kind at the moment, and he's up up on the ship. So I'm not really sure why, but there's certainly some red shirt representation there between him and Uhura, and then the random Galloway and the other security officers that beam down. Um, but they get down to the surface, and right away they come into this, into picture with this, you know, opening, right? This this uh, round object that they don't know what it is, and they kind of go up to it, and this is where the thing starts talking to them. Yeah, I think they they're asking. Uh, Kirk asks what it is out loud. They're just thinking, yeah, what is this? And then the, the question this. Uh, bodiless like voice comes out saying a question like since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born i have awaited a question i thought that was beautiful yeah, yeah. it's evident that this guardian is lonely a little right mm. i mean this this is mm -hmm. the guardian initially you think okay it's just it's just a portal but as you realize, as the episode goes on, and even at the end, you realize that the Guardian of Forever has to be some type of sentient life form that mm -hmm. has the ability to transport people through time. Because as he said, as the Guardian says a question, since before your son burned in space, before your race born, I have wait awaited a question. So he's giving himself this, this uh, pronoun, I, right? Yeah. And say, or is it? Yeah, it's a pronoun, isn't it? Isn't I a pronoun? Anyways, he he refers it, it, it refers to itself in the form of I. So therefore, you think, okay, sentient life form. Yeah. Right. And it's 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 looking for a question. It's looking for something to challenge its intellect, its ability. Clearly, Guardian of Forever tells you this thing's been around for a very, very, very long time as well. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, I think it actually explains that it's both a machine as well as some type of being. That's right. But we do learn that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it says that to Spock, right? Explaining that I'm both machine and being, but neither at the same time. And it's Spock that kind of deduces, makes the deduction that the Guardian is a time portal, um, mm. you know, other times, other dimensions. And the Guardian like confirms with Spock, you know, essentially, you know, that's correct. So yeah. I really liked that this time portal 
you have this sense that this time portal like is alive um because then you kind of kind of connect that to the concept that time is alive um and so you have a guardian there i'm connecting this to the year of hell because i really like yeah. that year of hell but uh yeah, you know. we talked about that idea. Like, I'm glad you mentioned the yeah. idea of time being alive because we did talk about that in Year of Hell and this, the the way that Anorax talked about hell or talked about hell. Wow, talked about mm -hmm. time as breathing, right? And 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 in the sense, kind of made it seem like it was alive. Yeah. So that was that that was good. I'm glad that you connected that because there is there is a sense of connection with that episode that two-part episode in this episode because of time and the way it's looked at yeah i mean the, the concept here like yeah in year of hell it says you know the past present and future they exist as one um this is this is um an example of that um where you've got this guardian of forever this time portal and um you've got the ability to go back in time with with kirk and and spock there together um being in their present but our future but all of this this concepts like exist at the same place at once at and it's one so i think it's a a beautiful juxtaposition yeah right there yeah yeah and and spock begins to he takes out his little his little mm -hmm. tricorder right the little purse tricorder yeah. and uh begins to scan the guardian and that's how he's like you said able to deduce yeah this looks like it's moving through human time uh, we don't really have a way of being able to choose, right, a specific day to go through or or anything like that. But they're seeing these centuries of time on Earth pass pretty quickly. And it's uh, obviously what's being played are look like old black and white movies, right? But yeah, but uh, time is passing and he's able to capture some of the images at the same speed with his tricorder, which, by the way, is a very important thing to note for later in the episode when he attempts to access his tricorder and make something in order to to look through time and figure out what's going on and where they're at and so forth. Uh, but McCoy is then spotted by the landing parties. <laughs> they search out trying to look for him, right? And then uh, he's found, he's, he's uh, cornered. Spock does the old Vulcan nerve pinch on him because it's evident that, that McCoy is still out of his mind thinking that there's people out to get him and assassinate him and spock's able to get him this time right yeah spock's able Vulcan to catch him pinch. yep yeah he's able to catch him and um they they lay him down and then they're you know they're doing more investigating of this this guardian of forever and then mccoy wakes up and says ah and then he runs and jumps through the portal and they're just like oh what the heck yeah. just happened you know and that leads to uh more discussion does and what were those red shirts doing like the security guards to let like mccoy like like slip through their fingers essentially they were they were being red shirts man yeah, they were being they, red shirts they you yeah. know I, it was interesting there there's an episode i saw a clip of this earlier when <laughs> i was going through some sound bits uh from the episode obsession right where kirk gets obsessed over that that alien like cloud of yeah whatever it is because it killed somebody or was it you know when he was younger in his career kill people on his away team or something like that and the red shirts that are there they get oh, they yeah. get attacked over and over again they can't do anything they just they just they're cannon fodder they get decimated you know? they get decimated yep and they're dead and so uh they're doing the same thing chris they're just <laughs> they're there but they're not really 
they're there to die pretty much is what what goes on here and you know we we could do a whole episode just on you know what captain had the most deaths under his command or maybe was the least the least uh able to take care of their crew and make sure they all got out in one piece and that could be a whole episode but yeah, um that could, that could be a whole episode man yeah yeah, yeah so absolutely. uhura after after mccoy jumps through the guardian Uhura makes a very fascinating discovery. Yeah, she cannot connect with the Enterprise. Having trouble connecting, and um, Scotty tries connecting. They're not able to connect. There's nothing wrong with your equipment. Nothing wrong with the communicators. Ship just isn't there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I believe it is the Guardian that lets them know that, hey, time has changed. (laughs) So... (laughs) You don't say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what what was is no longer. And so um they're kind of they're kind of stuck now. There's no Yeah. I, he also something like the effect of all that you knew is gone. Yeah. And I mean, imagine being there and being like, what? Yeah. What what what? Like, man, that'd be tough. That'd be tough. It would be tough. This is kind of like a well, this is the plot of the Terminator. Right, so they go back and <laughs> <laughs> they go, you know, back in time to change change the future. So, well, yeah, yeah except for except for uh, the guard, the guardian is not Skynet in this case. Guardians are trying to kill them, but yes, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Right. That's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's really interesting, Chris. Yeah. As we've looked, at, we've talked about a, a variety <laughs> of different science fiction franchises on this podcast over the last couple of years right yeah and we've talked about a variety of different topics to include artificial intelligence which is getting very <laughs> scary i think time travel things like that and the the story of the terminator that concept <laughs> right it's it's been it, it's been used many a times in science fiction but it's been it's been i guess uh, uh approached differently in many different ways yeah yeah it sure has um and it's it's just neat it's neat to see the different creative like iterations of of going back in time to try and and change the future and um some some things that they haven't have in common is there there always seems to be uh an in a focal point or an inflection point like in time where there where there's a purpose hey there's this particular individual or there's this particular uh, like event like that spawns all of these different things. So that becomes the focus of them going back in time. Just like this episode here, because because um, when they go back, back in time, the kind of nexus is an individual. So it's, uh, in this case, it's Edith Keeler and Terminator was John Connor. And we see that in Back to the Future a little bit, right? Where yes. the, the doc points out that this November 5th, 1955 could be this the whole center of the space-time continuum, or it could just be a big coincidence, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that yeah, that's a very, very, very good that you brought that up because I think when we when we look at time, when we look at movies that deal with time, there is that focal point, right? Uh, they deal with it, and I mean, we're talking about John Claude Van Damme, Time Cop too mm-hmm. has something similar, right? With um, with the the senator. And him wanting to go back in time and, and him kind of being that focal point of all these these different ripples that are going on in time. Because he's sending these 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 guys back in time to make him make him rich, right? By uh, yeah. abusing time travel. So you're right. Very, very similar uh in that regard. In this case, you know, Edith Keeler is a massive turning point in human history, unfortunately, not in a good way, 
Um, but, but yeah, so, uh, McCoy's gone. And thankfully the scans of Spock got from the guardian on his tricorder that he went somewhere back in the early 20th century, but that's pretty vague. And that's, it's pretty hard. Like I think Spock even says at one point, it's going to be really hard to be able to jump into the same, you know, year or decade or whatever, let alone even the same week. So it's a, it's one of those where, where, where Kirk, where, where Spock just kind of has to make his best guess, as he says, and remember in Star Trek, where where McCoy's (laughs) like, you got to take your best shot. He's like, best shot. Guess Spock. You got to guess. He's like, I can't, I can't do that or whatever, you know? And at the end, he's like, he's like, I gave it my best shot or whatever. And that, that whole scene on the, on board the Klingon ship, between McCoy and Spock was just fantastic. And yeah. I, I think, didn't McCoy even say at one point, he's like, I think I like you better before you died or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, 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 he does. Oh, the, the interplay of McCoy and Spock is just, I mean, roll on the floor laughing. is, yeah. is so It's so good. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, it's really good. It's so, really good. In this case, Spock has to, you know, kind of kind of guess a little bit. And his... You know, fortunately, his guesses are excellent. So they're excellent guesses. And, um, you know, but before they leave um, and jump through the portal, Kirk and Spock, you know, Kirk says a, um, a goodbye to the, essentially to the rest of the queued crew, to Hura and, and Scotty saying, hey, you know, you guys, if if you have to go ahead and jump through the portal, you know, just to, to live out your life. So, mm. you know, so I thought that that was good because they're yeah. all of them are going to have to try, which was good. It was good. It was... Yeah. Imagine Kirk and Spock having lived their life out in the 1930s. I mean, that's like, you know, pretty close to almost 300 years in the past. That'd be rough. I, I mean, it'd be like us jumping back to the 17, what, 1720s. I mean, that's, that'd be rough. It'd be a much different life. It'd be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, um, Sorry, my mind just wandered a little bit, but in Doctor Who, uh, Amelia Pond, um, she was transported way back in time by the the Weeping Angels, and so she mm. she lived out her life like way in the past. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So Chris, we get the scene where Kirk and Spock they do the famous jump into the Guardian, right into the portal, mm-hmm. and then they arrive in New York City, circa. We find out as the episode goes on circa 1930. Yeah. Near the depression, I believe, because we kind of kind of see evidence of that. So yeah. And um, you see the, the old style buildings, the old style um, cars and they're there walking around in the thirties. Yeah. Kirk, Kirk's able to figure out kind of sort of, around the time period that they've arrived just because he recognizes the period from some photo, from some old photographs and so forth. Uh, and, um, Spock does make reference that he, this period of time, there's economic upheaval, AKA, you know, great depression kind of era. You know, a lot of people are poor. A lot of people don't have any work. There's people are hurting, people are struggling. And, uh, they, they, from the moment they arrive on the streets, they stand out like a sore thumb. Do they not? I yeah, mean, yeah. their, their Starfleet uniforms look 
grossly different than anything that anybody else is wearing. Yeah, they sure do. Everyone's like staring at them. Kirk sees some clothes like hanging, hanging up and um, he gets the idea like, oh, I'm going to go get those clothes. And um, I think Spock says stealing and Kirk's like, no, we're going to return them. So I, th- I thought that was that was nice. So they do do Kirk does. Uh, I think he climbs up the ladder and gets the clothes and comes back. And of course, they get caught. Of course, course they get caught. And so um, it's kind of funny when they got caught and then uh, they have to explain Spock somehow, right? They've got to explain his ears. His ears were caught in an automatic rice picker, I think was what happened. Yeah, because I I, I guess uh, I think Kirk is the one that says something like he's Chinese. Yeah. And then and that he got his head caught in a mechanical rice picker. I'm just like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Not quite the things you'd hear these days in the in shows and movies, but um, uh, you know, back in that period of time, that was would would have been kind of, I guess, common or wouldn't have necessarily been something that maybe stood out as much. Uh, but yeah, he had to explain it some way, right? And I love the line yeah. that Kirk says to Chris, where he, where Spock's calling him out on the stealing. He goes, "Well, we'll we'll rob from the rich and give back to the poor oh, later." That's right. Like later, a little, Rob, yeah. little Robin Hood, right? Yeah 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 he is that's his his justification so they're they're able to escape the officer with you know Vulc, um spock is able to do like a distraction and do the vulcan nerve pinch and they're able to get away um and then find a place to to hide out escape and in what turns out to be the basement um a very important basement the 21st street mission basement so yeah yeah very important um interesting that they went into this basement right of all places because if they had gone to some other basement they may not have ever found mccoy right because yeah. he's taken in later by by edith and they wouldn't have found edith keeler but they but they're quickly discovered down in the basement right they're like they're just finishing up changing and as she's coming down spock hurries up and puts on the you know was a, a, a beanie or watch yeah. cap or whatever you want to call it right i don't know what they would have called it back in the 30s but puts on the little beanie uh and to cover his ears and i guess maybe slightly the end of his eyebrows a little bit mostly <laughs> his ears right and this this very beautiful intelligent woman comes down played by joan collins named edith keeler and you could tell kirk has a little bit of love at first sight yeah like he's he, he's very he's very taken aback by her beauty very quickly yeah yeah he absolutely is and edith keeler is a. Uh... Uh, you can tell uh, she's a very compassionate person. And so um, she essentially hears a little bit of their story. You know, Kirk explains, hey, we didn't have any money. We uh, we had to get these. We stole these clothes. Um, and she is uh, very compassionate to the situation and um, and offers them a job at the mission, you know, doing doing some chores at 15 cents an hour, you oh, know, which, which which they take. A dollar fifty a day, right? A dollar fifty a day. That's, That's crazy. Right. But back then, back in the thirties, mm-hmm. dollar fifty, you could go down and get, you know, a bag of groceries, a bag of some food if you needed to, right? Because stuff wasn't nearly as expensive as it is now. Yeah. Yeah. But that's you know, but that starts them off, you know, working at the mission, being able to find a place to stay, um, and then kind of developing that 
that that relationship and getting to learn who Edith Keeler is, um, yeah. which was which was good. And and that gives Spock a place to set up to start working on a device of some kind to help be able to access his tricorder, his hobby, yeah. as he says, yeah, his hobby. Yeah. <laughs> his hobby. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh that was that was kind of funny so um yeah so you know we get to see some of the mission and see what we're, what we're doing and learn more about edith keeler and i i really like the scene in the mission where they're they're eating um and they're meeting um you know they're talking to that that other man in the mission and he's like okay now now here's the part where we have to pay for the food which is essentially listen to to edith talk right and then she she comes right. up and she's talking and she's yeah essentially giving a a monologue or her thoughts or of what the future is going to be in her vision vision for the future and yeah to a certain extent she's kind of lighting the fire underneath the 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 people's butts there right like hey you need to if if you're just here to whatever uh -huh. you know you need to go get a job kind of thing you know she's trying yeah. to get people on their feet she should she's helping them but not at the at the point where she's unwilling to try to get them out the door to help them recover, get jobs, whatever. It's not just a charitable thing where they can just come and mooch all the time because they're sitting around doing nothing. You know what I mean? Like it's this kind of, you know, light a fire under their rear while also talking about what things are going to be like in the future. And I think that's that's what catches Kirk's attention because he's like, wow, like this this woman has ideas that are, are groundbreaking for right now, but really are just telling a story of what's to come. Yeah, revolutionary for the time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Groundbreaking, groundbreaking um, for the time. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, so as they're working at the mission, as they're um, as they're working to buy the tools for Spock's hobby, so he can uh, uh, work on his tricorder and try and figure out where McCoy is gonna gonna end up coming um you know spock kind of learns some stuff uh through that about about edith keeler right he learns that she's she's very important apparently but but he learns that um he comes across her obituary i believe um in that in that course of him putting together his equipment yes he does yeah. and then he also comes across uh like future events from their point in time where they're at uh, of Edith Keeler becoming this important person um, because he, he tries to replay that image of her obituary mm -hmm. for, for, for Kirk. But then another article comes up from, I think it's like 1936 maybe. And mm -hmm. it's talking yeah. about Edith meeting with president Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And then that's where everything overloads and it shorts out. It's like, yeah, the, this like board of of like incandescent light bulbs that are all strung together <laughs> somehow as a computer back then that works but uh yeah it 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 really it cuts out too early and they're not able to fully learn exactly what uh is going on but but then you get into this question is you know okay so Edith Keeler plays some type of important role in this period of time but they don't know what that is yet yeah they're not, you know, they're not sure. And there's, they're just speculating at the time because the tricorder kind of blew a circuit. So um, Spock, you know, speculating through the different scenarios, I believe he asked Kirk the question of like, hey, suppose 
that they discover that in order to set things right again that you know her dying is is correct for history for their version of history um and you know of course you know kirk can't answer that question he's just kind of no one would be able to answer that like just like wow yeah and it doesn't help you that kirk's already kind of you know he he's he likes what he sees right he's he's very fond of her already uh and um i think infatuated a little bit with her and so this idea of her dying would would just be something like oh my gosh we just met and now there's this like does she have to die because Mm -hmm. of history and that would be something that you'd be thinking like going oh my goodness gracious this is this is awful but um yeah Yeah. something that you kind of start to see that weight already begin to appear on Kirk's shoulders. Yeah. 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 You do. You do. Um, and you know, a little bit later in the episode, we get McCoy finally arriving. Um, and so he's still crazy. (laughs) You know, he's, yeah, he's he's always like, he's like blotches all over him and everything. And he looks like, he looks like, uh, albeit in this time period he would look like somebody who maybe is sickly living on the street out of you know crazy out of his mind maybe he's a you know got alcohol problems or something so from a from a personality perspective he other than his clothes he really wouldn't probably stick out too much yeah yeah that's right it's just his clothes um you know his his first encounter is uh with another homeless like person (laughs) And so he's like, I think asking him like, where, where, where is he? Um, and he's just trying to understand where he is. And unfortunately for that homeless person, if I'm not mistaken, like he, he's fiddling around with the, the phaser and um, phaser gets the it, best of him. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right there. Yes. Yeah. He, he overloads the phaser and then they disintegrate. Man. Oh. So the 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 only the only good thing about that happening is is now the phaser's gone so it's not there in you know in time or out of out of place right and somebody gets their hands on the technology yeah yeah that's too so bad. i mean star trek has dealt with those ideas of accidentally leaving tech lane around right whether it's in a a, a pre-warp civilization or a culture that doesn't quite have the tech they have or back in time somewhere there was an episode of Enterprise where they were on a planet. I remember watching not that long ago where the the species is not a warp civilization yet. And they're like un- under, uh, you know, Phlox helps them dress up to look like an alien on their foreheads. And they, they're undercover. And um, Lieutenant Reed leaves some stuff behind and they have to go back and get it because they don't want that to be left there mm-hmm. in that pre-warp civilization. Yeah. So something similar here the one the only good thing that comes out of it because obviously it's bad that this guy this guy dies is that the tech is now gone yeah it's disintegrated as well yep yeah mccoy eventually finds him way his way into the 21st um street mission um you know and he's he's in horrible shape he does he's able to connect with edith keeler you know edith keeler recognizes that he's in horrible shape and then um of course being the compassionate person like she is, you know, she wants to help him, you know, which right. she does, you know, he's able to stay there. He's able to, to recover. Um, and McCoy being McCoy believes like everything's a, like a hallucination. He doesn't think anything's <laughs> like real, which I think is funny. And um, yeah, he, he eventually believes 
that oh she's the only part that's real everything else is a hallucination which i which i liked yeah yep (laughs) absolutely and she she helps nurse him back to health gets him some coffee takes care of him (laughs) and then we very quickly after that see that spock is now able to repair this computer light bulb board thing yeah uh and access his tricorder and then based on the scans that he was able to take mccoy at some point in the next few days or whenever in the future is going to prevent edith keeler from dying in some traffic accident as she was meant to in their timeline and by doing this she goes on instead of dying she goes on to form this pacifist movement yeah which has an influence on the president of the united states which delays the u.s's entry into world war ii and because of that nazi germany has it has the opportunity to complete their weapons experiments they develop the atom bomb first germany conquers the world and everything's changed because of that yeah and so uh, Spock, I believe, Chris, if I remember correctly in this scene, this is where Spock tells Kirk that they have to stop McCoy because Kirk has this this thought of, okay, well, when 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 does she have to die? And Spock's basically like, well, we can we can kind of figure out general events, but we can't find the exact moment and the exact time when she's gonna die. But we have to stop McCoy from saving her in essence right and you can see because leading up to this right him at kirk and has already taken edith out to a to a movie and they've had you know good time and they've kissed and they they're starting to fall for each other and now you can see kirk's heart beginning to break because it's evident he's in love with her but he also knows the grim stark reality of what's to come Mm-hmm. Or what is supposed to come if they're going to get back to the their their existence that they know. Yeah, and he is definitely struggling with that, right? And it is tearing like at at his heart. So that is that's really unfortunate. And Spock being Spock being completely logical, you know, he's the one that's got to remind the captain that hey, yeah, she must die. Mm. Um. Oh, that'd be tough. The woman you love, you know, has to die. Right? Because of historical events. Mm-hmm. And that would be tough. That'd be really, really tough. Um, I did find it interesting, though, too, as we move through the episode here. So McCoy is recovering, right? And Edith yeah. has has nursed him back to health, like you said. Very well, well put that, you know, she she can't help herself, right? This is who she is, right? It's part of her... It's in her soul to be this helpful, <laughs> you know, understanding woman and understanding person. And uh, so McCoy is is kind of talking kind of weird a little bit, not out of his mind, but just like the way he speaks about certain types of things. Mm-hmm. And this is when this is when um, I, th- I believe this is when Edith goes, oh, yeah, you need to meet my friend because he talks the same way you do. And I love how how. McCoy states one of his usual phrases, oh, I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist, right? That's you right. know, like uh it just that it, it it wouldn't be a, a toss episode without a, a McCoy quote like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah, he McCoy. Gotta love his 
yeah gotta love his like kind of one-liners that he does yeah oh yeah yeah um there's a scene uh shortly after this or immediately after this this is this is the one again it's with kirk and edith keeler and you know she's walking down the stairs and she almost you know she trips i really love that scene i think it's it's uh uh pretty it, it's intimate in like in a way you know kirk kirk reaches out to to grab her to prevent her from falling um you know and after that spock is like you know that fall might have like she might have died from that fall um and kirk is kirk's like well he there's no way he could have let 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 her fall uh right he's he's got to try and protect her so um i did like that that scene on the stairs a lot because you get them very close kirk and edith are are close close and you kind of they even have more of a bonding moment uh from that uh, which makes what has to come later even more difficult essentially yeah 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 that's that that scene i'm I'm glad you mentioned that chris because that scene was really impactful this idea that kirk Kirk is willing to what seems very simple is just hey, she stumbles a little bit and he catches her fall sort of right that that has a foreshadowing mm-hmm. of the way Kirk feels and what Kirk may be willing to do in order to save her and, and the the little exchange that Kirk has with Spock after is very interesting because Kirk says something to the effect of you know it's not time yet McCoy's not here when Spock brings up the idea that she could have died right there on the stairs that could have been when she died and then he does, as you said, the logical Vulcan, right? He states, you know, uh, they can't be sure of their facts. They don't know when the right time will come. And he tells Kirk that if he saves Edith's life, life, millions will die who did not die before. And that's when you see Kirk's face just go, wow. I, 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 lo- I love this woman, but we're talking millions of people millions of people so is it worth saving one life in order to affect that would that would affect millions or is it worth allowing that life to pass in order to save millions right and we we always hear the phrase from spock of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and everything else but you know if you love somebody you know you're probably willing to go to great lengths if not do whatever you have to do to protect them and, and save their life. And we'll get into more of that later. But um, I felt that that was, it was logical, but it was a little cold the way he says, you know, Edith's life that millions will die who didn't die before. And he, he's really, he's really got to make, I think it's almost like Spock trying to make Kirk or remind, not make, but remind Kirk of his duty as the captain, right? Like you know, Captain Jim, you've got to separate your emotion from this situation because this is a situation, and if if this continues on, this is going to have a massive ramification in human history. And I think he's trying to help Kirk separate. And I think it's just my my thought, Chris. I don't know how you feel about this. I think this is the moment where Kirk decides what he's going to do. When Spock reminds him that millions are going to die. He's made up in his mind now. He knows what he has to do, even though he doesn't want to do it. He knows he has to let Edith, Edith die. I maybe, think this is maybe. it right here. Maybe so. Maybe so. And I'm not 100%, but maybe maybe so. 
he's certainly struggling right he is mm-hmm. he's completely struggling and he's wanting he's wanting a way out any other way out that's that's possible this is what yeah what i'm thinking kirk kirk, kirk is thinking is mine um i'm really i'm so you brought up like the goods of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one um in a way um this is this is like uh <laughs> the the no win scenario the kobayashi maru for for kirk right and yeah and and you're right that it it's it's spock that is reminding kirk of what his duty is like as as a captain right it is spock that is reminding um kirk this is the logical choice of what you have to do to save these millions of people without spock there kirk i don't think would have had would not have been able to make the choice that he makes at the end of the episode right spock spock is just as important as kirk you know making that choice you know again without without spock there i don't i don't feel that kirk would have made that made that choice uh, there's a scene earlier um where um edith keeler um uh, is saying it's um I, I i think they're in the furnace room and she's she's like saying she's saying to them like you don't you don't even appear to like belong like in this place or this time and kirk's like well, where do you you know where do you think you we belong and and I, I don't remember the exact word she said if she, if if she felt like i think you belong in the future i don't be- i don't remember if she exactly says that but for for the way she describes spock uh she says spock you know even when he doesn't say captain he's saying it even with his silence he's saying captain and she's saying spock he belongs at your side all the time now into the future um so spock being the one to remind kirk of you know millions will die right this is where spock belongs at his side to remind kirk of these like huge kind of impacts these huge decisions these huge things that only kirk can do at the moment and spock being at kirk's side this is something that now now this was an episode in in this the original series but spock is by kirk's side in all of the movies and yeah. uh, which was which was wonderful right and spock is is of course by kirk's side in, in star trek one and star trek two and i'm gonna i'm gonna flip i'm gonna flip it the needs of the many are the one are are the needs of the many are are more important than the needs of the the fewer the one because when spock um you know spock dies in star trek two Star Trek. Wait, what? Yeah, spoilers what? for Spock, Wrath of Khan. Spock dies? No, <laughs> come on, Chris. Yeah. Now you just ruined. I can't even watch the movie now. I've already, already ruined the ending. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, those in Antarctica that <laughs> the ending there. They're cut off from movies yeah. since the 1980s. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, there, there's a flip in Star Trek, um, three and four, because when I'm sorry I'm going on I'm just I'm just I'm just following my trail of of thoughts here but the flip in Star Trek 3 and 4 is they're trying to save Spock so then the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many because for, Spock for Kirk it 
does, right? Right. Because Kirk, Kirk does. is Kirk is so focused on getting Spock back because Spock means that much to him. Yeah. In their Spock friendship. Means. Yeah. So I I love that this there because I'm just I'm you know I'm I'm connecting this where we are connecting this this idea that is in on City of Edge of Forever. We're flipping that idea around like um decades later in in one of the movies. Um, but Spock and Kirk are are always at each other's side. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's true. And that and that's where they belong. They belong together, right? They you know, the the this this partnership, companionship. I mean, to me, Kirk and Spock's friendship is one of the greatest friendships in television history. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. Kirk may be his commanding officer, but but they have a friendship that's far deeper than that. Yeah. Um. And, and it, I'm glad you you brought that scene up. I know we talked about that the last night, and it it's a wonderful scene. And the fact that th- this goes to show the level of perceptiveness—that's a word, right? I think yeah. Is that a word? Anyway. So, yeah. The level of perceptiveness or perception that Edith has, right? Because she sees that she doesn't even know them. She sees that. She sees that immediately with the two of them. Yeah. She doesn't know where they're from. They don't, they seem out of place. And, but regardless, she, she believes that, that he belongs at, at his side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, I, I think that's a wonderful foreshadowing because she's so perceptive, right? It's a wonderful foreshadowing for the whole rest of the, their, their two lives. It's just unfortunate because of Star Trek generations and the way they kill Kirk off that Spock wasn't there with Kirk at the end, you know? Yeah part really sucked but we all know yeah. and most people hate the way they killed off kirk and generations and i i some random planet it just it was terrible but anyways yeah. we're not here to talk about generations <laughs> the way they killed kirk that's a whole other story whole other episode uh so yes this is this is where we when we we see that um you see now that mccoy is he's fully healthy and edith tells her tells him that she's going to the cinema to go see a movie with her with her uh, her friend, her young man, her young she man. That's what he's her her yeah. young man, her young man, this gentleman, this young man. That's <laughs> yeah. right. To see yeah. a Clark Gable movie, and McCoy's like, I don't know who Clark Gable is, but I know what a movie is, you know, which <laughs> she thinks is strange because back then, 1930, Clark Gable was a massive movie star. Ask my grandmother; she knows who Clark Gable is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Clark Gable was in Gone with the Wind. Uh, he's been in a lot of big time stuff, big time actor, and in fact, this. It was 1930. In fact, I don't think Gone with the Wind wouldn't have been out yet. I think Gone with the Wind was like nine, 1936, oh. maybe or third. I don't remember the exact year. My grandmother would probably kill me if I didn't know that <laughs> year offhand. But uh, I mean, we anybody who's a, a fan of film history knows Gone with the Wind and how yeah. much of a massive movie that was back back in the 30s. It's color and picture in the 30s. My goodness. So, uh. Kirk uh, asked who he's been talking with, and she makes this offhand about Dr. McCoy. He's like, McCoy! And then they run back, and then there he comes out of the mission, and then, oh, yeah. McCoy, McCoy! And then she starts going into the street, and that's when McCoy goes to, to save her, and Kirk stops him. Yeah. And she's hit. And he goes, no, Jim! And the ramifications, of course, are instantaneous. They know what happened. This this moment, Chris, to me, is the moment in this episode that gets me the most. And McCoy, where McCoy is, he's just, he's beside himself. 
that Kirk stopped him from saving her. And he goes, you deliberately stopped me, Jim. I could have saved her. Do you know what you just did? And then Kirk, you know, pushes McCoy aside. And Spock, this line kills me as I watched it this last time. And Spock says, he knows, doctor. He knows. Yeah. And and Kirk is heartbroken. He, he leans himself up against the building. And he knows that history has been restored. But in order to restore history, that meant allowing Edith to die and his love dies with her. Oh, oh gosh, that scene just got me, man. It got me. Kirk is broken after that. He is. Oh, at least till yeah. the next episode and the next fling. But but yeah, yes, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he is, though. You're right. Hundred percent. He is. He is broken. He's very, very broken. And you see that in the way you see that and how he, he comes back right to the yeah. guardian and he's really not able to talk much. Right. Cause I think it's, I think it's um, Spock who, who has to answer and, and to Uhura and Scotty and say that they were successful. Yeah. And he can't look back at the guardian you know, no. cause he's, you know, he's just going to be looking back um, at what happened. And the yeah, the guardians um ending words I, I thought were you know significant. Time has resumed its shape, all as 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 was before. Many such journeys are possible. Let me be your gateway. Do you think, Chris, that Kirk in some way holds a grudge or blames the Guardian for what he had to go through? Yeah. By his reaction of not wanting to look back and not wanting to you know, have Absolutely. any interaction with him after that, that he, 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 he knows what he had to do, but the guardian was the one that put him in that situation. Yeah. I mean, McCoy at the end of the day, McCoy is right. Cause McCoy jumped to the guardian, but the guardian basically forced them to have to go back and get him. Otherwise, you know, time had changed. Right. And they were going to have to. And I, 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 I had this thought of d- does Kirk now hold a grudge and blame the guardian for what happened? I don't know if you've thought that way or not, but that's kind of came to mind. Yeah. I mean, he can't face the guardian. He's broken. Doesn't want to look at it. I think absolutely. He would feel that. Yeah. Um, and just want, not want to look back. And if, and, and maybe that was the way it was always supposed to be like in, in time, right. Maybe that was always supposed to happen was Kirk was supposed to be the one to hold back McCoy. All of this was fated to happen anyways. And, and um temporal and this, mechanics man <laughs> yeah temporal mechanics and this was yeah this was all uh what was supposed to happen yeah. so and yeah. kirk kirk's final final line in this episode i think really really captures how broken he is when they get back and um kirk he's very very he's very very um cold he's very tense and he says let's get the hell out of here mm-hmm yeah. He, he he wants to leave. He knows what's happened. And the Lanny party beams up, they vanish, and the guardian of forever is left there again. Um this episode to me hit pretty hard because I I, I don't know. I I'm curious on your thoughts, Chris, on how this episode impacted you having gone back and watched it i know you watched it again did you end up watching it twice i know you mentioned you were you were gonna 
maybe do that. Did you end up rewatching it twice? One and a half times. Yeah. One and a half times. Okay. Yeah. I I put myself in Kirk's shoes and I say, what if I was in a situation like this? Which of course, I mean, realistically I wouldn't be, but let's say I was in a situation like this and I had foreknowledge of the future. And for some reason, my wife had to die or something was going to happen that would affect many, many people for whatever reason. Could I pull myself to make the same decision that Kirk made, knowing that the that her death saves lives? I don't think I could do it, Chris. Mm-hmm. I don't think with if I knew the foreknowledge of, of when my wife was to die and how. Even if something simple as that, right? Like you, you knew the foreknowledge, Chris. You knew the day your wife was going to die. Let's say it was before you. Let's just for the purpose of conversation. You knew they knew it was before you, and there was a way to prevent it. But for some reason, you were told you shouldn't prevent it, and here's why. If I was given that knowledge, I I do not think I could do it. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I just it could save a billion lives and this maybe this sounds selfish and this is just me so mm-hmm. i want to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on this too yeah it could save a billion lives but to me that life is more important than those billion and i some people might go oh my gosh how dare you you would choose one life over a billion but it's it's different mm-hmm. and kirk knew that and so he made what he believed was the right decision but I don't know that I could come to make the same choice that Kirk's make, Kirk makes, especially my wife, because, I mean, you know, him and Edith weren't married. They, I mean, they, they kind of fallen in love, but they weren't nearly in the same position that, you know, I'm in. I'm in. So I don't think I could do it. I, I really mm-hmm. don't. I have a hard time thinking I could. So I, I, I'm curious, Chris, on what your thoughts are on, yeah. on the situation. Like if you were in Kirk's shoes. And Kirk, you know, Kirk... I don't think Kirk would have made that decision without Spock. You know, there Kirk Kirk That's a really Kirk, good point. Kirk would not have made that decision. He and um I'm extrapolating here but but um I if we think as Kirk as a character like this this kind of decision that he had to make on this particular mission um would have influenced him as a human being and maybe that's why he made some of the decisions that he made like in like in the search for spock you know on saying on saying you know the the value of the individual sometimes outweighs uh all other factors yeah you know and being able to to save that individual but but to your to, to the question no i i would not be able to do that, to let, um, if I was in Kirk's shoes and it was Edith Keeler, if it was in my power, it would be to, you know, prevent her from, from dying to, because I would still think that perhaps there is another way yeah, um, to change, you know, the, the course of history, you know, as from Terminator 2, no fate but what we make. Yeah. So keep her know. away from the president. Just keep yeah. her away from the president, right? <laughs> don't delay the start because don't let the latest. You have that foreknowledge. Don't allow her to delay the start of the U.S. joining World War II. Yeah. 
and then everybody wins, right? Everybody I mean, wins. But then again, maybe let's say you prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. But what's to say something else doesn't happen that you don't have foreknowledge of that then yeah. changes history because of that? Because there's a ripple effect, right? This idea of ripple effect in time, which we learn through year of hell, right? These the ripple effect in the timeline by by changing one thing here there may be unintended consequences over here that you didn't calculate for like what yeah. anorax deals with with voyager yeah that's right yeah precisely and in you know in this particular episode um edith keeler was the focal point in time she was kind of she was the inflection point which which makes that's what makes the episode like appealing and the quest the yeah. question so so hard but i think um how I feel and like humanity, uh, you know, it would be, I would not be able to, I would not be able to do, do that. Let Edith Keeler die. Yeah. And of course it, you know, it's, 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 if they didn't have Kirk fall in love with her, the episode would not, if they had written it differently, right. Mm-hmm. The episode, which who was the name of the author of this episode again? Do you remember it was, uh, um, Harlan Ellison, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Har- yep. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So if Harlan had written this episode differently, where instead Kirk doesn't fall in love with her, but he but he doesn't necessarily want to see her die either. So he 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 but he knows that the what has to happen for his historical purposes and his future. So he he still allows her to die. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't be as impactful. It wouldn't be as as powerful and as good as this episode is now the way it's written, because that that end scene that just gets me and to me is the most difficult part of the episode to watch it's also my favorite part um where mccoy says do you know what you did or whatever i could have saved her and everything like that and and spock chimes in and says he knows doctor he knows or he knows doctor he knows you know and then kirk is you could tell he's heartbroken he knows what he had to do but it didn't make it any easier in fact now he's he's distraught he's he's crushed if that whole piece of the episode had been different, this wouldn't be as good of an episode. I think, in fact, it would just be another some another episode. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the and the original um, screenplay or the original writing from Harlan Ellison, it was not Kirk that prevented her. It was not it was it was not Kirk. It was Spock at the end that essentially oh, really? let her die. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, it was going to be Spock that kind of allowed her demise to happen, which would have had a completely different feel, right? Spock, Spock is already, um, you know, he's 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 logical, of course, and so he's got, um, you know, a a different uh, sense of like the the actions that have to happen, um, but that that would have like. Uh, you know, vilified Spock essentially, and 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 having Kirk do it, it was so much more impactful because Kirk is very, um, very feeling, right? He's 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 very emotive. He's got a lot of uh, all emotions. He has fallen in love with Edith Keeler. Yeah. Um, it just was so much more impactful that it happened the way it did, with Kirk being the one to prevent uh, McCoy from saving Edith. Much I, better ending, yeah. Yeah, I'm very glad that they, it ended up the way it did. Yeah. Um, because that scene at the end there, like we just talked about with with Spock telling the doctor, you know, he knows, doctor, he knows. Um, 
that made it so much more impactful because Kirk couldn't speak. He couldn't, he, he, the, the whole thing, the way it played out was just, it was perfect. It made the, epi- it really drove home the episode and made, I think made it what it is. That one mm-hmm. scene right there is what really made that episode what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that scene is like extremely memorable that I, I, I always remember that scene. Um, when I think about this episode and I I've always remembered this scene just growing up and watching the reruns. Um, yeah, extremely impactful. I, um, there's a, there's a line from the original writing from, from Harlan Ellison. I'm not sure that this made it into the episode, but it was something along the lines. This is from Spock. Um, and Spock is talking to Kirk. Spock says something like to Kirk. He says, I will wait for you. Um, This is in terms of Kirk needing to make a decision. I will wait for you, but time will not wait for you. Um, Mm. And I like, I I don't know that that was in the episode, but that's really good. Yeah. I like that because it's kind of, in a way you're acknowledging that time is alive. You know, time is a a being, right? So um, I like, (laughs) I like that episode or I like that kind of phrase a lot. Yeah, well, it, it would tie it back to this idea that the guardian of forever is this sentient being, right? Yeah. And it has the ability to control time in a sense and allow people to experience time through its ability to transport transport folks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would have been I don't I don't remember that line in the episode. So if it wasn't in there, that would have been a really powerful kind of statement. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of a yin and a yang. It's a little bit of opposites here, Chris. You have Spock, the logical Vulcan, as always, right? Yeah. yeah. And this idea where he's he's he, he's removed emotion from the situation. He knows what has to be done given the information he's learned through the tricorder. On the other side, you have Kirk, who is. I think naturally falls in love with women or has feelings for women pretty quickly, right? He's one of those kind of hopeless romantics, right? To a certain extent. And so because of the two, it they they play off of each other, right? You you have one who is hopelessly romantic, falls in love with this woman back in time and 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 is having a hard time being able to not want to save her. And then you have the logical Vulcan who's trying to keep this one on the path. Right. Keep almost like Spock in a way, in a gentle way, is reminding Kirk of his duties, Mm -hmm. reminding Kirk of what's at stake, reminding Kirk of what's required of them in this situation um, if they want to save these lives and and they they don't want history to change. So I think it's the way that plays out. Right. I mean, there's a lot of that interplay where with Kirk and Spock on different opposite sides of things. This episode really brings that to head because Kirk is so wrapped around the emotional aspect of it and Spock saying, no, look like, hey, if these things, if you know, if, if, if Edith, Edith has to die and if she doesn't, here's the ramifications of that and reminding him that, you know, that's the case. And then it gets to that scene that we talked about, right, where when Spock says, but if Edith, Edith doesn't die, mil- millions of people who who didn't die before will or something like that right yeah yeah and i think maybe this is just me reading too much into it but when i was watching that scene looking at his uh, kirk's face it to me his face said you know 
the, the ramifications of it, but it also said, okay, I, I, I made my decision that I, I know what I have to do. Mm-hmm. That that's how it spoke to me. I may, it may, nobody else may have had that spoke to them that way, but to me, it spoke of the, the, the sheer weight of what had to be done, but also that he said, he's realizing, okay, yes, yeah, Spock, I get it. I know what I have to do. Yeah. He doesn't like it. It it breaks his heart, but he knows what he has to do. And that's yeah. just so that scene then from that moment on, while he's still in love with that moment on is is changes, I think, the way uh the way Kirk goes about it. And I mean, what it an just, yeah, yeah. What an impossible like situation, right? Because then oh, yeah. because the the episode like is saying, hey, the, weigh the value of an individual against the value of these millions of other like individuals um and then and then have that be how you make a like a decision um and that's just it just lays out this this ethical like problem there and then the the approach and the approach of the ethical solution in, in that's approached in this episode is like, oh, okay, well, we're, we're gonna, it'll be the utilitarian approach where, you know, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of this one individual and keeping history on track the way it's supposed to be um, outweighs um, this individual in this case. Yeah. And the, the other, I guess, takeaway I have from this is for, from a, from a thematic, thematic, right? Yeah. Or um, you know, morale type thing here is that decision. Every decision you make has consequences. Yeah, it can be good consequences and bad consequences, right? But it's telling a story that you know you come to a, a fork or a crossroads in life, and if you go this way, there's there are certain things that will happen and not happen. And there's both consequences and then there's unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And if you go this way, it's the same thing. But maybe, but diff- in a different way, right? And so, there are. I, I would say in life, there are. We come to forks in the road almost daily, right? Almost yeah. daily, we have little little forks in the road. Maybe they don't have quite the same impact or ripples down the road as other decisions make, but we face almost daily little forks in the road. And was it was it the author? Uh, was it Robert Frost, the author, who talked about I came I took came to a fork in the road and I took the road less traveled? Is that is that Robert that's, Frost? Or... That's um Frost, yes, Robert yeah. Frost. Okay, and and I I think about that particular uh poem or whatever it was um for this episode because the road less traveled for Kirk would be the decision that he made. Mm-hmm. The road that you expect Kirk normally to take would be to save Edith because he's in love with her, right? <laughs> yeah. But he took the what I think is the road less traveled because that's the route he knew he had to go, he had to do. And so my kind of the thing that that I really took away from this episode is the idea that, you know, our choices, our decisions have consequences, some more than others. And many times not every time, but many times we have the power to make those choices. And the question is, does your choice have consequences that only affect you or affect other people? Right. And so it makes you think like, okay, 
you know, not that you're going to sit here and ponder like, oh, what am I going to have for lunch today? I got to, I got to spend four <laughs> days thinking about it because that could have unintended consequences, which it could, right? You eat a, you eat a bad meal and now you have to go to the bathroom a lot or whatever or something, right? Yeah. Bad, bad, spoiled meat or something, right? But um, at the end of the day, every decision you make is a, is literally a ripple through time. If I were to say, you know, I'm going to go into work tomorrow and quit my job, that yeah. would have some serious ripples through time yeah, for my life, for my life. Versus I just go to work the, you know, the next day and I'm doing my thing, right? There, there are the, the decisions that you make sometimes small and sometimes large have ripples through time in your life and others. And that's kind of the big, the big kind of thing I took out of this episode. Oh, that's, I guess that's maybe wonderful. one of anyways. Yeah. Oh, that is a, that's wonderful. That's a beautiful thing you, you took away from the episode. From what I understand on this episode, I, I believe Gene Roddenberry was the last one to kind of touch up the writing and the script of mm. how it was going to go. Like the the original writing of it, um, what fundamentally it was the same, but um, there were some like key differences in that um, it was not McCoy that went through the the Guardian of Forever portal. It was just like some it was like some random like crew member that it was. I like Ricky. A, <laughs> yeah, he was like a he was a drug dealing crew member or like a murderer too, and then escaped and went through through the portal and changed history. So I can see why Gene changed that, right? Yeah, that would mess with this utopian future. Yeah, exactly. And then to have it be to have it be McCoy and to have it be McCoy, Spock, and Kirk, them in the past, um, and then have the interplay with all of them because they're all. They're, they're so connected and each of their individual attributes are so important on how they play together. Um, I thought, I mean, it was absolutely better to have it like, 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 like it is with this. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about is the title city on the edge of forever. I was just going to say that, but yes, I want to hear what you say. Oh ahead. yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I'm glad you were thinking about the title. Yes, too. I literally just started thinking about. We should talk about the title for a second. I'm so we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, um, a few different levels. One is um, the city itself. What do we interpret as the city? You know, I, I, for a long time, I thought, okay, it's well, it's the city in the past that they went to. It's the city that that Kirk um, and Spock and McCoy were in. Um, but now I think, well, no, or is it the city that's on the, on the planet? Because it, there's a whole bunch of ancient ruins there. Um, and it was, was this the city where the guardian of forever, the portal was. Um, so that's one level I was thinking about, you know, city on the edge of forever. And then um, this phrase edge of forever has been running around through my mind, like a lot. And I really like it because edge of forever. And if I tweak it a little bit, end of infinity, because edge, you're coming to an end mm. forever is infinity. Um, and those two kind of themes, right? Those, those ideas are directly opposite. And, and in, um, you know, <laughs> edge of forever, um, end and infinity. But the idea of, infinity and 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 what it means and how people and scientists are trying to comprehend it um is really interested and in, interesting and in how 
infinity relates to the idea of zero and being an end is really, really interesting too. Um, but I, I, I almost see it as like this, this loop happening, like um, city on the edge of forever. And I just, I just love that phrase because you can take it to a lot of different levels. It's contradictory, um, but also cyclical. Um, just like the guardian of forever, that sentient being guardian of the time portal, like, like is, um, those are some of my thoughts on the title, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I had some kind of yeah. similar thoughts too, with the title, the title for me was okay. I, I, I thought of the city as the city that they go to, Yeah, but the edge of forever is this idea of an edge, like you mentioned, right? This cliff, but they get to that edge and then by getting there there's two there's there's options or there's a couple of choices right you go this way on this bridge and this takes you mm -hmm. forward forever you go over this bridge it takes you this way forever but they're, they're different routes and so different things happen and that 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 then uh goes back to this this choice that kirk has to save her or not save her right those two paths that diverge uh, that's kind of what my thought was on the, on the title. And I was thinking about that. I was like, I wonder if Chris has thought about this title and how this interplays in with everything. So Beautiful. I'm glad we're both thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is, this is, this is, uh, this is such a good episode. This is such a good episode And there. There's, I mean, you, we can see why this episode is up there at the very tippy top for a lot of people as one of, one of, if not the greatest episode of Star Trek that's out there. I feel like I want to go back and, I know I already watched it one and a half times, you know, I'd probably go back and watch it again um, pretty soon. Um, just to, uh, just to see again. Um, it just makes me feel, except for the end, which is tragic, you know, Yeah, makes you feel like um, good to watch this episode. Just the idea of um, they, they created Edith Keeler to be uh, the most compassionate, intuitive, uh, visionary person that they could. Yeah. Right. And and so, this just person of a of esteem that could be like so valuable, and you could see, you could sense that yes, this this person, if they had a conversation with the president, would have like just a lot of um, impactful influence um, in a positive way. Right. Yeah. And so. Um, and then I can't see, I think we both feel similarly that when Joan Collins like embodying this role in this, this particular episode was just um, can't see anyone doing it like as well uh, as yeah. she did. She was wonderful. And and they, I'm sure it was intentionally written for her to be this ah, character, to be this way, right. Yeah. To be, be because you want the audience to fall in love with the character like Kirk does so that it makes it that much harder when they kill her. Yeah. When, when Kirk has to make the decision to let her, not kill her, but let her die. Like the writers kill her, right? The writer, the, the story kills her. And so, it, because it makes it that much more tragic that someone yeah. that was so wonderful, so gracious, a visionary, you know, this, per, this perceptive, everything, all these different things, and that could do so, so much good in the world. And really she does, but the good in the world that she does actually ends up being a bad thing because of the timing of events. 
right? If she was born decades and decades and decades and decades later, maybe those mm -hmm. types of things she did wouldn't have that same type of effect. It would have, but it would have a good effect and it wouldn't be some, you know, uh, something that leads to, you know, horrific events happening and changing alternate yeah. course of, of history. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a powerful episode. Uh, for, if you're watching or listening to us right now, and you haven't gone back and watched it, we highly recommend now that you've hmm? listened to our review, watched our review, that go back and watch it. See see if you see the things that we saw. See if things stand out to you the way it stand out to us or if things speak to you the way they spoke to us. Maybe they don't. Maybe it speaks to you or stands out to you completely differently than what it does to us. And that's what's so great about shows like Star Trek uh, is that you can watch something 50 times and the 51st time it speaks to you differently. Yeah, yeah, That's absolutely. what's wonderful. Absolutely. So, um, this was great. I'm glad we did this, Chris. I'm glad we did this episode because it's really wonderful. And, and I know we'll we'll probably jump back into the mirror universe the next time we do a spotlight episode um, and continue on our train there. But we we really felt compelled, I think, to do Year of Hell Part 1 and 2. I know a mm -hmm. lot of people have been asking for that, and we, we wanted to. And then I think there was that mutual feeling here. We really wanted to do this City on the Edge of Forever uh, because it's just – it's it's one of the absolute um, – giants in the star trek franchise as far as episodes go so glad we did this yeah yeah absolutely this is wonderful yeah so well thank you as always so much everybody for watching and listening to us everywhere we appreciate it. we hope you enjoyed this deep dive we really do uh we love doing these this is i'll be honest with you chris uh the deep dives are one of my favorite things that we do on the podcast because we get to have these really philosophical deep question uh, uh, conversations. I kind of feel like maybe some of my thoughts are getting deeper than they were back when we first started doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't all just explosions and phasers. Um, Most but it's excellent. Been, yeah. Yeah. But I really, I really love doing these and it's, it's really a blast and we hope you enjoy it uh, again. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't already, be sure to go there and follow us, go to YouTube and subscribe there. If you haven't already to get all the latest episode updates and announcements, uh, get be a subscriber on there so you can get the latest notifications for when the next episode comes out. If you want to watch the video version of this and see us as we we talk about these deep dives and other topics we discuss. Uh, if you're listening to us on the audio side, be sure to hit the follow button on your platform so you can again get announcements and notifications when our ep new new episode comes out. So we really do appreciate that, Chris, and uh, we look forward to some really fantastic guests coming up here in the next few weeks. Oh, that's going to be a ton of fun in the next few weeks to to have a chance to talk with them and yeah. learn learn about the projects that they're doing too if they'd be willing to share yeah that'd be super yeah that'll be really good we'll learn some really great technical aspects of things in directing and and, and playback and uh it's gonna be a great and the podcast collab we have coming up that that mm -hmm. oh, captain my captain episode if you guys have seen the announcement on our social media that's gonna be <laughs> such a fun episode we are gonna have a good time Where's Bev? They are fantastic, and they're you're gonna love them if you have if you don't know them or haven't listened to their podcast, go check them out. Uh, we're gonna have a great time. We're looking forward to it. Most excellent, my friend. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, thank you so much as always, everybody. Take care, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Random Redshirt Podcast. <laughs>